Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. As always, this is our first ever crossover episode. We're all about community. Most importantly for us in starting this podcast and doing this podcast is to make sure that we are telling queer stories and talking about queer issues and queer lives and making sure that people have a safe space to do that, to listen, to feel a part of something. And we realized we're not the only ones trying to do this, which is really cool. So we've linked up with Southern Queries hosted by Aubrey and India, and they are a podcast all about LGBTQ plus stories in the South, uh, which is perfect because we're based in New Orleans. So we thought, hey, we got a lot in common. So let's do a crossover episode. So this episode of Southern Queries features Evelina, aka Ivy Les Vixens, who is a mental health advocate, a YouTuber, and founder of Florida burlesque company Les Vixens, and a queer burlesque dancer, uh, which fits right into our theme and near and queer to my heart. And we're so happy to have this collaboration. So check out this episode and then show Southern Queries some love. You can find them on all the social media at Southern Queries, and they have a website, southernqueries.com, where you can learn more about them and support them. We're so excited. Our first crossover episode. Let's do it. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. Together we explore being a part of the LGBTQ community in the South. A quick note on terminology. On this show, we let guests identify in the best way they're comfortable with. Some of the terms or topics might be different, new, or uncomfortable to you. That discomfort is part of what we're exploring together. We encourage you to listen with an open heart and continue these discussions with your larger community. We encourage any meaningful and politeful feedback. Thanks, and welcome to Southern Queries. When I was first coming out, I didn't see a lot of people like me out there, especially in my slowly but growing circle of gay friends. As one does, I turned to the internet. There, I found Evelina. This particular interview for me is extra special because if it weren't for Evelina, I'm not sure I would have gotten the proper language or gotten the confidence to feel comfortable in my own skin. Fangirl moment, I'm so excited that they're on the show. Evelina represented all of the things that I yearned for. She's femme, she's a lesbian, and on top of all of that, she's a full-time performer. My dream has always been to be an actress and perform. I love to dance. I love burlesque. I love circus. I love theater. 
And Evelina is a full-time burlesque dancer and embodies so many things that I just gush over. I hope you enjoy this interview with Evelina, aka Ivy Les Vixen, as we learn more about this Floridian and their life as a full-time burlesque dancer with their very own queer burlesque dance troupe. Ivy Les Vixens is the ringleader of the Les Vixens, an all-queer burlesque troupe. Uh, she is also an LGBTQ plus uh, mental health advocate and a safe space creator. Uh, she loves biodegradable glitter, green tea, and cats and dogs. Uh, Ivy has a growing YouTube channel where she talks about femme and lesbian identity, mental health, relationships, and also shows the behind the scenes of her life and Les Vixens. She owns and operates an all-queer women burlesque troupe, and it's one of the largest LGBTQ burlesque troops in the country. Her troupe was voted Orlando's Best Burlesque Troupe two years in a row, and she has been featured in magazines like Forbes, Curve, and The Advocate. Thanks for being on the show. I'm stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. We're so excited. Thank you so much. So right off the bat, can you tell us how you identify and why is that identity important to you? Oh, and what pronouns do you use? Um, my pronouns are she, her, and I identify as a femme lesbian. And I think that for me, you know, I also, I find with being called queer, gay, et cetera, but for me, lesbian, the word itself is really important to me because I think um, a lot of queer people have, you know, internalized homophobia and like the word lesbian seems dirty or like, you know, butch, like cargo shorts and mullets and it kind of evokes these stereotypes. And so I love reclaiming it, being an out and proud lesbian because I think that it's really important um, for me to feel really comfortable with the word, you know, and, and to own that identity for myself and to not, you know, let any of the negative stereotypes with the word from growing up kind of influence the way I feel about myself. And like, I'm, I, you know, I big believer in sexuality spectrum, et cetera. But for me, I'm, I'm happily lesbian. The minute I came out, I was like, oh, this like fits, this feels good. And I think also because I am femme presenting, it also um, is really important to be out and proud and to not look like a heteronormative stereotype of what a lesbian looks like. You know, I like to kind of smash that into smithereens and show up in like my lipstick and um, this. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, yeah. That is great. Uh, and so usually we ask people about their coming out stories, but you've actually done a video or two about that on YouTube. Hi babes, welcome back to my channel. I get a lot of questions about my coming out story and how I knew I was gay. So I'm finally filming this video for you and I'm so excited because I love being gay. It is uh, so we wanted to ask you a different question. How do your parents feel about you being a burlesque dancer? Because in one of your videos, you talked about how they felt about you coming out, but how do they feel about that? Um, well, that's, that's a great question. I actually, when I get back on YouTube, because I took a break during quarantine, because my girl had to deal with the world, uh, I want to do a um, coming out of the burlesque closet video, because it really was 
um, a, an interesting and scary thing because burlesque itself is also misunderstood and there are a lot of stereotypes and um, it it's kind of hard to be like, yes, we are taking off our clothes in front of strangers. However, it's so much more than that, you know, and, and it's theater, it's like sexy snippets of theater. And I also use it as a platform to, you know, connect with my community and to be an advocate for the community. So it, it's just so much more than just getting on stage and something sparkly and taking it off. Um, and I always was concerned about how my family would, with their preconceived notions, would kind of feel about it. Um, and, you know, when I, when I told my mom, uh, it actually, I had been performing for, I think, six years before what? I and my mom and I are very, very close. And uh, I just, I remember when I told her I was going to audition to be a go-go dancer at Southern Nights, which is the gay venue um, in Orlando that has been here for 35 years. She was told me that she didn't want me to do it because she thought that it would affect my career down the line. Um, because at that time, you know, the idea of a go-go dancer and whatever was not, didn't kind of, <laughs> create the best impression. Um, and my mom also used to like go to Southern Nights went back in the day with her gay friends and she just kind of had a different idea of what it was like. And I ended up doing it anyway. And my mom is a sensitive little lady and I felt like she would be personally affronted and personally hurt that I did it. She said she didn't want me to. So I decided to not tell her and I thought it would be, oh, I just would go to dance once a month or something. And then it turned into this huge thing within like six months. And I was like traveling the state and the country. And I was like, ah, what happened? <laughs> like, like it was, it kind of snowballed so quickly that like after six months, I was like, well, now how do I tell her? And then a year goes by and I was like, oh my God, now how do I tell her? And then I'm in a, and I'm like, please don't watch the news today, mom. And then it just kind of, turned into something that I, I'd never anticipated. And I, I just felt like, but well, I can't tell her now. It's like, um, so then, you know, six years later, and I was writing a blog, um, Tea and Glitter, which I eventually turned into my YouTube channel. And um, I'd written a thing about my mom because she is super, super wonderful and super important to me. And my mom had been Googling herself. Uh-oh. <laughs> The photos that were attached to my blog were like lots of performance stuff. So when her name came up, a photo of me in pasties came up at a gay bar. Oh no. <laughs> she thought that I was stripping in a strip club and she thought that, and she was like, well, I don't know if I should bring this up to her. Is she okay? Is she doing this because she loves it or because she needs the money and she's not telling me? It was like a, a whole thing that my mom kept under her hat for a little while until one day I was doing laundry at her house and I used to always separate my sparkly stuff from the stuff I would take to my mom's but there was one rhinestone glove that got stuck to something and it my mom pulls out my laundry and it flips in the air and it's like slow motion like flipping through the air my mom's like so I was online the other day <laughs> <laughs> Kind of word vomited everything and I was like I'm a burlesque performer I run my troupe it's been six years I <laughs> I, I just 
I think I had a stroke and passed out and woke up and told my mom and my mom knew everything. I don't, I blacked out completely. Um, but my mom was just really sad that I had kept her from this huge part of my life. Um, but once she kind of got over that, I mean, she was offering to help me rhinestone underwear and was, <laughs> yes. See, but that's the thing about parents. It's not that they disapprove. They just don't like being excluded. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm a parent and we just want to be a part of every aspect of your life as much as you'll let us. So it's the exclusion that hurts more than anything. And, you know, when I started this, I was 19 and I just, you know, at 19, you kind of don't want your parents to think anything. You know, you're just like, ah. I'm 19, I'm going to go do this thing that my mom doesn't want me to do, and I'm not going to tell her about it. And then, you know, years later, telling my mom, you know, she was so supportive and so wonderful and um, and has been ever since. I mean, she hasn't been able to make it to a show, mostly because our shows are past her bedtime. Um, but she, I mean, she has an album of photos of me on her phone of, like, my costumes and that she, like, shares with the other ladies in her neighborhood. And she's like, here, just, just swipe, just look through. <laughs> so wait follow-up question so Kyle, yeah. what did she think you were doing for those past six years <laughs> well, at the time I was also um you know I was a freelance writer I was graduating college I was working I'm the queen of medieval times I was princess then I was so busy even outside of that my burlesque career which was also extremely busy. So my mom was always like, I don't even know how you do everything you do. And she didn't even know the half of it. So she, I was, you know, I had clients for my freelance writing and I was, you know, doing, doing a lot in general. So she just kind of assumed that's what I was doing. And, um, you know, young people, you do a lot. It's hard to keep up with everything. And <laughs> slipped in there that you also are a burlesque dancer, just slip it in there. So. And then, um, and then my dad, uh, he, he grew up in Oklahoma, you know, on a farm, very different lifestyle. Uh, you know, his, his upbringing, he had to fight a lot of dogma coming up, you know, as, as an adult to kind of get rid of the very archaic, outdated stereotypes and issues that his upbringing instilled in him. And so I was also very nervous to tell him, you know, because I knew that it would be one of those situations where I'd really have to explain. I'd really have to get him to see that it was so much more than just stripping or taking off my clothes in front of strangers. And, um, but I mean, he was like, oh, so you're, you're an entertainer. You're and I've been in theater my whole life. So it, you know, and I kind of explained it as like theater, like sexy, empowering theater. He got it really quickly. And yeah. You know, I don't think he'll ever come see a show either, which is fine. I'm <laughs> he definitely accepted it pretty quickly. And then, you know, getting into Forbes and doing all this stuff, you know, and seeing that it's, I'm the boss lady, seeing that it's not just me as a performer, it's me as a producer. It's me running a company, running a troupe, you know, liaisoning with venues, creating costumes, you know, having auditions, doing photo shoots. It, he sees it as what it is. It's just, it's a full on business. It's a full kind of 24 seven glitter grind. And, and he really respects that. And he thinks it's awesome that I was able to turn my like weird glittery 
me wanting to play dress up all the time as a kid, parlaying that into a career, especially when I don't have dance training, especially when I just kind of wing it, you know, he's very impressed with everything I've been able to do. So that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what, how they kind of and I'm from, Oklahoma, I'm from Oklahoma, and so we're both in Fort Worth, Texas, when we're recording this, but I'm from Oklahoma, and at the time, no, burlesque was not well known no. a few years ago. I mean, I think there's one or two burlesque festivals there now, but a few years ago, it was not a thing that was there, so I can get maybe the disconnect. Right. Absolutely, yeah. That's amazing, though, that you have no dance background. I would have never known. That's incredible. I really appreciate that. I, I wish I had. I wish I had, because then imagine what I could do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how is burlesque culture different, um, you know, especially in queer community compared to drag culture, which may be more well-known and accepted? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I, honestly, something that was really, that became very clear to me early on was that the there dra- there's always drag right and there's in the gay community a lot of entertainment is focused for the men and, and that's something that i've seen across the board you know in all the different cities i've performed in. there's very rarely um you know stuff for the girls you know there's very very rarely there might be a night once a month you know, and I think it's very important for, um, you know, women and, you know, our community to have entertainment that is for us, mm-hmm. you know, that for, for the girls, you know, that's not just for the boys. And it became very clear to me that, that, that that's what we were doing. We were, you know, giving the fantasy, we were giving the, you know, we were filling out a missing piece to entertainment in the community, you know, being able to be then presenting sparkly and, and not for men, we were for the girls and, you know, and across the, the world in all cultures, it seems like so much is geared toward men mm-hmm. and, you know, being able to kind of find this niche of like, Hey, girls should get to see, you know, hot go-go girls, not just, <laughs> shirtless go-go boys, you know, like they're be able to do that. And I mean, burlesque itself is such an empowering community and it, it drag and burlesque kind of, it's like the chicken or the egg, right? Like it really comes from each other. There's like this, this symbiotic history there that, you know, a lot of what we do is drag and a lot of what drag does is burlesque. So there's this kind of beautiful marriage of the two that I think is really awesome as well. And, and the fact that we can do it in the queer community and I, I often perform with drag queens, you know, they, I've drag queen hosts, that sort of thing. It, it bridges gaps in entertainment as well. So not only is there like filling gaps, but it's bridging entertainment and, you know, burlesque is such a cool thing because it's comedy and it's, sparkly and it's pretty and it's sexy and it can be all these things but so can drag you know so it's like this this really cool kind of marriage of the two and that's what I and that's why I love doing it in predominantly in the queer community yeah love that love it and I think I mean related to this idea of burlesque as a performance uh you you said that 
you use it as a way, as a platform for people to showcase their femme identity and to show how powerful being femme is. And you mentioned that some of your performers use it because uh, to showcase their bisexuality or showcase their uh, veganism. <laughs> um, it, it, so I've also heard drag queens and a lot of them are cis males say that they use drag to showcase their femininity. Right, absolutely. What, is femininity to you and do you think it's different in compared to femininity for say cis females compared to cis males or right um i think it, I, I, something that i feel really strongly about is that femininity does not just belong to cis women and masculinity does not just belong to cis men mm -hmm. it, they are two different concepts that are not attached to a biology or a gender. I think that there, it's an energy, it's a, it's a vibe, it's a, it's a look, it's, you know, all of these things. And, um, I think that being able to kind of smash the idea that it does belong to one thing or the other is what makes drag and burlesque so cool, you know, because of the fact that we, we kind of, we gender bend or we, you know, a drag queen will be a bearded queen will come out in a bustier, you know, and so it kind of shakes up those archaic binaries and those ideas that this is only for this and this is only for this. Boys only have blue, girls only have pink, you know, and it we're able to play around with that and, you know, to be, you know, some of my girls, um, some of the vixens love playing around with androgyny. They love to be, you know, some of my girls are completely bald. And they, you know, they are able to, you know, rock a pant, like a suit on stage, you know, and it's, you know, hyper masculinity or this hyper femininity that is performative and it's beautiful and it, um, you know, shows that you can do whatever, you can dress however, you can perform however. And I think that's, you know, drag kings, drag queens and burlesque all kind of mess around with heteronormative standards of femininity and masculinity. Absolutely. And that's what makes it so great to watch and sexy. <laughs> Hi, I'm interrupting. How's everyone doing tonight? <laughs> me too. Uh, I'm not allowed to introduce me, but, and this act is going to be great, but I think that I need a little bit of help. So before you continue with your introduction, Veronica Page, you got me for? Yes, Or how did you even get involved in burlesque? Did it come from your go-go dancing, or like what happened? <laughs> so back back in the day, there was not the burlesque revival had not started yet. So what um, I auditioned for another troupe because I, I my first girlfriend took me to see you know some go-go dancers, and for whatever reason, I was like I could do that, even though I danced like a baby horse and had no background whatsoever. <laughs> I just thought I could do that. Um, so I ended up 
auditioning for kind of a go-go group um, that would do go-go in gay bars and also go-go shows. And that's what the burlesque was. It was like a go-go show and, and they were doing burlesque, but the word wasn't popularized yet. It wasn't really like, we didn't know that's what we were doing. Um, and then very quickly, I had um, received a multitude of opportunities. Like I said before, within six months, I was really shocked. I had no idea that it was going to kind of catapult the situation and I would be traveling four nights a week to different cities to perform in, in you know, podunk towns in Florida and, you know, these huge nightclubs or these like little dive bars, you know, and, um, and so then I decided that, you know, a couple of the girls that I worked with closely, we decided like, let's have a name, let's do some photo shoots, let's do this. And, and so then we became Les Vixens and then all of a sudden, you know, those, those two girls retired and, and, and I was wanted to continue on. And so I had been hiring new girls, auditioning them. And honestly, I, I, for years and years, I didn't turn it in, I didn't think of it as a business because it was so wonderful and so amazing that I felt like if I looked too directly at it, it would disappear. You know, I had kind of like, this can't be my life. I can't, this is waking up every day covered in glitter from the night before. Like this cannot be real. Um, <laughs> and so I just kind of did it without really thinking too much into it. And then eventually it got to the point where I was, there was, I, if it was were to continue, I needed to start pulling up my boss lady pants and, and making it more than it could be, than it was at the time. And so then it, it kind of snowballed into what it is today, where we have our website and we have merch and we have shows and we have, you know, I started with three girls and now I have close to 20, you know, it just continues to grow. Um, obviously it's, a, it's weird to ch chat about it right now considering the state of the world, but. Well, there's still a place for fun and there's still a place to enjoy yourself and happiness. And I think at this time, people need to hold on to the things that make them happy. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And, and what I've always, um, I've always thought is that, you know, there's art is so important to the psyche of humanity, and to be able to break away from daily life and to get immersed in a fantasy, to have some fun, to be made to feel special, to you know have the glitz and the glam and and all of that. It's so it's. It's so important, you know, like, and right now, I believe that science will get us through this, but art will heal us, you know? And I think that that's- I love that. Yeah. Art will always be there. It has, has always been there. And I had to keep reminding myself that Broadway performers are still Broadway performers, even though Broadway is dark right now. And, you know, there's been, since ancient Greece, and even before that, there's been theater. And so I know that we'll come out of this and people will be so, ready for it they'll be so excited to see something not digital they want to see it live because live entertainment is so different than watching something on your computer or your phone and so i'm i'm excited to be there when people are ready for it yeah yeah love it yeah that's that's okay and, and so i guess i have uh just before we go on to a few other questions and i've seen this on your instagram and a little bit on your youtube you say you're a you support sus biodegradable glitter, sustainable glitter. What is glitter usually? 
Um, and what's the difference? And this um, might be a dumb question, but I don't know, and I'm just wondering. What such thing as dumb questions, Aubrey? <laughs> like, 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 what is like, what is that? Um, I didn't even realize this, um, but glitter is microplastic. It's teeny oh. plastic, mm-hmm. and you know, which broke my heart when I found that out. I, I don't know what I thought it was made of. I don't think I even thought about it up until someone was like, "Did you know that glitter?" And then I did research and I fell down a rabbit hole and I was like, oh God. Oh, really? did <laughs> so much to like this like horrible problem. Who knew glitter would be a problem? And then, you know, Etsy sellers and, and indie, you know, brands started coming out with biodegradable glitter. Um, I think one girl makes hers out of eucalyptus. Um, there's just, there's a bunch of different things that you can make glitter out of that are completely biodegradable. And so I, that's what I've, I've been purchasing. I'm, I'm very conflicted because of the fact that I have so much glitter on hand that's not biodegradable. So I'm like, what do I do with this? <laughs> uh, but, you know, on body glitter and all that, I've, I've been making sure that I only use biodegradable glitter. And I'm hoping that there'll be a way for me to recycle all the other glitter that I have. Um, God, I love glitter. It's so pretty. Anyway, but yes, I'm glad that they have biodegradable so I can feel good and sparkle. Uh, you are preaching to the choir. I love biodegradable glitter, and I could put so much glitter on me. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. I didn't even know that was a thing. And now I've got to go. My wife's a crafter. Now I've got to go look to see if her glitter is biodegradable, or <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get nerdy if we can. Um, I know that in your YouTube um, intros, you describe yourself as a nerd by day and a vixen by night. What are some of the more nerdier aspects of your likes and interests? Um, well, uh, I rarely listen to music. All I listen to is audiobooks. <laughs> I think the majority of my money goes to audible.com. Um, yeah, I, I, especially because, you know, as a traveling burlesque performer, I, I kind of feel like a trucker, like I'm on the road so much. So music eventually just kind of will lull me to sleep. So it's audiobooks that keep my brain going. And that's kind of how I started listening to audiobooks. And now it's like, get up, turn on my audiobook and, you know, get ready for the day, listen to my audiobook, take a walk to Starbucks, listen to my audiobook. So that's, that's a big one. I go through lots and lots of um, audiobooks. And then let's see, I mean, I'm a plant nerd. I have, like I told you two earlier, I have 27 plants um, there. I'm like looking at them. They're all doing so great. Yay. <laughs> I'll teach you my tricks. So Please do. I went on vacation for one week and my plant died. My one plant died. It's hard for so. I've had some casualties over the years. I'm up to 12. So I'm catching up to you. <laughs> I'm at zero. <laughs> Right now, we get there. Uh, I, I told you um, earlier that I had been a freelance writer. Um, I love writing. That's something that is almost as passionate to me as performing. Um, so I think it was it was a kind of cool that my performing career took off to the point where I couldn't take on clients anymore. Um, but I, I used to do a lot of writing, a lot of copywriting, and that sort of thing, and nerd out on all of that. Um, and like, I love reading like peer reviewed journals and things like that. So, you know, listening to podcasts as well. Shout out to this one. What's up? <laughs> 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 um, 
lifestyle. They see us being like hot and sexy on stage and, you know, they expect that our lifestyles to kind of reflect that rock star vibe. And instead I'm like, you know, listening to an audiobook and watering my plants with my cats, you know, and just this kind of dichotomy of that, which I think is really cool. And I think people, um, you know, people can be multifaceted and I think you shouldn't, I like being able to be both all, you know, super like sex bomb on stage and then nerdy plant mom at home. (laughs) Well, there does still to be, there's still like this prevailing stereotype that feminine women can't be into nerdier things or being feminine somehow automatically decreases your intellect or your IQ. There's still like those, like that femme nerd erasure a little bit. And uh, go, go, no, go ahead. No. You know, like the gamer nerd, like the mm-hmm. game, like whatever. And it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm really big on reclaiming things. So I, you know, reclaiming that kind of like, yeah, I'm, I take off my clothes in front of strangers, but I also have a degree and I graduated with honors and I'm, you know, things like that, that, that you can't, you don't have to be one or the other. No, absolutely not. And in fact, you can even blend the two some. I know I was looking at some of your Fims and Follies burlesque mm-hmm. where you were a c- couple of comic book characters. Can you tell us about that? Okay, so nerdlesque is one of my favorite uh, genres of burlesque. And I am, and again, and this goes back to theater, you know, being able to have these themes with burlesque, you know, like comic book burlesque or nerdlesque, you know, I, I have... I've created so many costumes and performances for comic book characters. I mean, I have everything from Aquaman and the Riddler to um, the Cat in the Hat. Even I have a, a Care Bear one that I Queer Bear. Oh, <laughs> Queer Bear, love that. Oh, I love that. And and you know, I have a Laura Croft Tomb Raider one. I have. I, I have some super ridiculous ones. I have one, uh, Sarah from the Labyrinth. I have um, Belle, I, Hades. I do, and I just think um, that, yeah, the, the nerdy side, you know, being able to be like, oh, I really love Electra. I'm going to make an Electra costume. And then it turns out, and I'm like, wow, I look like the costume. <laughs> right? We need it. And it, it works out, you know. And like, I have a Poison Ivy one, naturally, and then um, a black cat. So like all these kind of nerdy things. And then another part of burlesque that I think is really interesting is I get to kind of do um, puns with my um, Maybe no one in the audience, but like one person uh, gets, you know, but like I, I, I have an Ewok performance that I do, you know, and like I used to do that to um, that one song, uh, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Do it again, now. Yes, yes. Sexy to that song. You know, I just think it's so. And like, I have a slave Leia and a stormtrooper. So it's like blending these pop culture nerdy things and making them super hot. And, and for the female gaze and for, for the gaze of women. And it's not, not only for men, you know, it's, it's for the queer community to be able to have this like super hot nerdy thing that's for them, you know? So we don't get a lot of things for us. Like, right. 
Yeah, that's true. Okay, so you don't, and I, I was, we were looking at your videos, you don't drink, you don't do alcohol, you don't do drugs, and I know you did a video how you don't drink soda, too much, uh, but I noticed you have an unhealthy green tea addiction. <laughs> what would happen if Starbucks stopped selling green tea? Probably <laughs> devastating. I did once, because, um, because I am, you know, I, I don't ever want to feel addicted to something because I feel like that would not feel good to me. That would not be good to my, for my mental health. So I, I did, I'm not Catholic, but I did like a 40 days, 40 nights without green tea, just to see if I'm like, do I have an addiction to green tea? And it's so silly that like, that's green tea is like wonderful for you. It's a great thing. And I was like, ah, oh, but do I have an unhealthy addiction to it? And I, I survived those 40 days just fine. Um, <laughs> and if green tea is it for me, then that's good. I'm definitely, I'm not a, um, it's all of these things are just personal choices for me. Absolutely. I yeah. Yeah. Anyone for doing anything. I think that, you know, uh, do what makes you feel good, you know, and for me, not drinking, like I've never had a drink in my life. Like I just have never needed it or wanted to, to do it. I'm, you know, I can get out in front of a crowd of strangers and take off my clothes, stone cold sober. So my inhibitions are probably so low that if I did drink, we don't want to see that girl. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I honestly feel like I would probably just like be the girl crying in the corner for some reason. I just like, I'm an emotional human. So I feel like that would probably bring out that side a little too much. And um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, my mom always says, she's like, you already have what people do drugs to get, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. you kind of have this, like you're high on life as cheesy as that sounds. And um, but it doesn't mean that I won't buy someone a shot at the bar, you know, for them. Like it's, it's just this kind of navigating a culture that is very um, accepting or condoning or whatever the word would be of, of like alcohol and drugs and that sort of thing. And, and to, you know, work in nightclubs and to never partake. I think it's one of the reasons I am as successful as I am. I've never fallen off stage because I was like drunk and I don't, you know, there, there's a lot of drugs and alcohol in nightclubs uh, and in the queer scene. And I think that it also, I, I've had people tell me that they really admire that I don't do it. They really admire that I'm able to just kind of exist completely of my own, like in my own self. And I don't need to do anything. And it gives them kind of the, almost the permission that they don't have to, if they don't want, mm -hmm. if they don't want to drink, they don't have to, you know, and it, they don't need it to get on the dance floor. They can dance because they want to. Or if they want to be danced and buzzed and, you know, taking shots, go for it too. Like it's it's all very, um, I think it's such a personal choice. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think once I got out of high school and I never had a drink, you know, it's like, well, it's the point now, you know? <laughs> the fun is gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are actually the first person I had um, seen online that shared a lot of the same values as I did. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink soda. I don't do drugs. Um, I do partake in a little bit of whiskey now, but mostly I'm a sober partier. Like if I go to a club, you, I'm not like, I have water in my hand if I have a drink in my hand. Um, so it was really validating to see, um, not only your femme identity video was really validating for me, but it was like, it was an extra notch that I was like, oh, and she doesn't drink coffee and she's not, yes, <laughs> I'm not the only one. <laughs> I'm not giving up coffee. 
coffee because I think it's such a romantic beverage. Like mm, having your coffee in the morning. But I just I think gross. So. Well, see, you know, coffee shops and bookstores though are my queer spaces, so I need that kind of quieter, introvert caffeine fix. Exists. I be yeah. at the gay bar, but Evelina's at a bar drinking a chai latte. You know? Yes. <laughs> All right. So our last question for you is: What does being queer in the South mean to you, and why do you think it's important that we talk about it? I love the question and I love the theme of your podcast because, you know, I, I've traveled a lot, visited a lot of different areas um, in the country and the, the difference of queer representation in the North and the West versus the South is, is really remarkable. Um, but I'm a big believer that humanizing the queer experience does more good than being radical than being in your face and being aggressive and so being queer in the south for me um because i am femme presenting i do pass more easily in the south but i am so open and proud that i i like to you know start you know talk to someone at the grocery store and they're like oh you know they get they have this preconceived idea of of me you know and then they find out i'm gay you know, and then they have to, they have to readjust because I don't look like the gay person that they thought they would, they would meet. I you know, they have these preconceived notions, especially in the South about like queer people and to be able to, um, kind of throw that on people's heads is really important to me and to be able to make them rethink their preconceived notions and humanizing the queer community I think is so important in the south because there's so much of us there's so many of us here and so many of us are afraid really are yeah yeah go ahead <laughs> small towns where you know you grow up where homophobia and gay hatred are just woven into the town it's not even a oh so and so said something it's literally just all the microaggressions it's all the way things are spoken about and um kind of just assumed and you know I, I know some people who came out you know in their 20s because they didn't even know being gay was an option because it just was never a thing in their town and so it, it is really important to have the representation here so people can see themselves in us you know in those of us who are able to be out and proud you know who are able to be like yeah i live in the south and i i'm gay and i'm thriving and absolutely I'm, and it helps them have this kind of feeling of connection and feeling of like okay maybe i can come out too you know i maybe i'm okay even though no one else in my town is gay <laughs> there are other people they just don't know it yet so. So thanks for being on the show, Evelina. Such a blast. Thank you guys so much. You're both wonderful. And I love what you're doing here. I think it's really important. And um, I hope people out there feel better about themselves after listening to podcasts like this and feel more connected and validated. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. Thanks for being on the show, Evelina. To keep up with her, she's at Evelina on Instagram and YouTube. That's E-V-E-L double e and a you can also follow les vixens burlesque on instagram and if you're interested in booking their troupe you can check out their website at www.lesvixens.com
You can find more information about this episode and the show at our website, southernqueries.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Southern Queries. Queries is with two E's. Until next time, thanks for listening. Some credits. Production. Your hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Holly. Story research, Aubrey Calvin. Editing, India Bastia. This is Southern Queries. Thank you so much for tuning in to our first ever crossover episode. And thank you, Southern Queries, for joining forces with us. We appreciate it so much. So much love to y'all. We're going to be back next week with a brand new episode with Brie Castellini. So stay tuned for that. Otherwise, say hi to us on social media, Twitter at Queer to My Heart, Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart. Thank y'all. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.